If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Something's in my basement. I recently bought a new house. It's a two-story older home. There's a nice-sized living room that connects to an old kitchen. The upstairs is simply two bedrooms and a bathroom, and there's a full basement. The basement has a concrete floor and several shelving units, giving me the impression that one of the previous owners was big into preserves or pickling things. I was able to get the house for a great price due to the unsettling events surrounding the previous owners. They were a couple in their late 60s named Fred and Lillian. They had lived in the house for approximately a decade. The couple was well known in the neighborhood for their arguments. Apparently they fought constantly. Neighbors said it was not uncommon to hear shouting late into the night, and the police had been called out many times. One day, about three months ago, Lillian left Fred. The neighbors were all pleased as things instantly became peaceful, relaxed, and quiet. They said Fred changed after his wife left. He moped around a lot and would spend hours sitting outside on the front porch nearly lifeless, staring out at nothing. The late night shouting was replaced by late night weeping. The next door neighbor stopped over to see how Fred was holding up. They said that Fred seemed weighted down by depression and had tears in his eyes as he told them, I never realized I can't live without Lillian. That night, Fred slit his wrists in his bathtub. The body wasn't discovered until weeks later when someone reported a horrible stench emanating from the house. And because of all that, Plenty of people who would have otherwise been quite interested in the house were turned off, allowing me to swoop in and nab it for a nice below-market price. I was thrilled, and I'm quite the handyman, so what little work the house needed, I was able to polish off with ease. I had been living in the house without incident for approximately one month, 
That was about the time I started to notice a foul, decaying odor. I knew it could not have been a lingering odor from Fred's dead body. I would have detected that when I initially looked at the place, or some other time during the past month of living in the house. It took me a little while to track it down, but the odor seemed to be originating from the basement. I figured I'd go down there and find a dead rodent of some sort, but I searched all over and couldn't find a damn thing. The smell seemed to be strongest from the right corner of the basement. I figured some small animal had got caught between the walls and died. If that was the case, the stench wouldn't last much longer. It was later that week when I was woken up by weeping sounds. It was quite loud. At first I thought there was somebody sitting outside on my front porch crying. But when I opened the front door and stepped out, there was nobody there. But the crying continued. It was coming from inside my house. I followed the sorrowful sobbing and realized it was coming from the basement. I opened the basement door and just stood silently and listened for a moment. It seemed to be deriving from the right side of the basement. I flicked on the stair lights and walked down the narrow wooden staircase to the cold cement basement. I pulled a string at the bottom of the stairs that lit a bulb which gave fair lighting to the majority of the basement. The basement was tidy. I hadn't had a chance to mess it up yet. I had several boxes down there, but those were all neatly stacked on the left side of the basement. One last distressed bellow echoed through the room, and then all went silent. I stepped toward where I was positive the crying came from, and it dawned on me that it was the same region of the basement that the odor was coming from. The next night, something else woke me up. The sound of scratching. It was rather loud. I would have thought it was my dog scratching on the back door to be let outside, but I don't have a dog. My initial thought was that one of the neighbor's dogs was confused and was trying to get into my house instead of their own, so I marched downstairs and approached the back door. That's when I realized the scratching was not coming from the back door. It was coming from the basement. I opened the basement door and looked down into the darkness. The scratching was loud, distinct, and constant. I flicked on the stairwell light which allowed me to see my way down the stairs and stepped onto the concrete floor. As I fumbled for the string to light the basement, I could hear deep, raspy breaths accompanying the scratching. There was definitely somebody in my basement. When I grasped the string and pulled the light on, everything went silent and the basement was empty. I walked around and looked in every conceivable spot someone could hide, but I found nobody. I wondered what was going to wake me up the next night, but nothing did. Instead, I fell into a deep sleep and found myself having the most realistic dream I had ever experienced. I was sinking into the soft earth. I flailed away trying to pull myself out of the ground, but kept plummeting further. I found myself in a pit, 
covered with wriggling worms and squirming maggots. I could feel them twisting and turning in my mouth, down my throat, into my ears and infesting my brain. I could feel a heavy, thick, cold liquid pouring over my body, weighing me down, trapping me underground forever. I started screaming over and over, let me out, let me out. I awoke and leapt out of bed. I felt a sense of relief wash over me as I realized it was all just a horrible nightmare. But then I heard a voice. A loud, sinister voice shouting, Let me out! I was no longer dreaming. The voice was real, and I could tell that it was coming from the basement. Let me out! Let me out! I raced down the stairs and into the basement. As I reached for the string to pull the light on, I heard the menacing voice one more time from the right corner of the basement. Let me out! When I turned on the light, the voice went silent. But I noticed something that I hadn't before. There was a large section of the right corner of the basement that looked like it had been recently cemented over. The cement was smoothed out well, and the color matched perfectly with the rest of the floor, but when I looked closely, I could spot a few rough spots around the edges that gave it away. Something was under there. The next day I rented a jackhammer and tore up the cement from the right corner of the basement. I found the dead body of a woman. She was wearing a locket with her name on it. Lillian. It turns out Lillian didn't leave Fred. Fred killed her and buried her body in the basement. I alerted the authorities. They removed the body and had it cremated. I have not experienced any paranormal activity in the house since. Psycho Caller In the 1980s, there was a popular late-night radio show in Chicago called Late Night with Dr. Berman. Dr. Berman was a psychiatrist and would take live calls. People would ring in with an array of different problems that he would try to help them with. His catchphrase when answering new calls was, What's your problem? Over the years, he answered countless bizarre calls, but his most unusual call was received on May 17, 1985. The following is the transcript of the call. Hello, you're on Late Night with Dr. Berman. What's your problem? Hello? What's your problem, caller? How can I help you tonight? I miss my girls. 
Your girls, and who are your girls? Do you mean your daughters? My girls. I have three of them. And where are your girls now, caller? I don't know. I think they took them away. Who took them away? The police. Why did the police take your girls away? I guess they didn't like me having them in my house. Where did the police take your girls? Away. Okay, caller, if you want me to help you, you'll have to elaborate on what you're talking about. Now please, tell me what your problem is. I need more girls. And where do you plan to get these girls? I'll just go out and get me some. <laughs> well, you can't just go out and take random girls. That's called kidnapping. That's a crime. I don't care. I'll go out and I'll find me some girls and I'll stick my knife in their necks and they'll be mine. Okay, before you do that, caller, let's talk a little longer. Um, let's see if we can find out more about why you feel the need to do this. I enjoyed our conversation. Uh, w wait, caller, don't hang up. Hello? Hello? At that point, the call ended. The radio station successfully traced the call, and police were dispatched to the address. The location of the call was the Sherman Parks Mental Institution. The origin of the call was a security desk. When the police arrived, they found the security guard with his throat slit. After checking the patient logs, they concluded that one patient had escaped. The escaped patient's name was Rudolph Baker. He was institutionalized for murdering three women. He positioned their dead bodies around his house and would interact with them as if they were alive. He referred to them as his girls. Rudolph Baker was never recaptured. The Keys I'm what one might refer to as a struggling actor. I'm in my late 20s and I get just enough acting work to barely pay the rent and feed myself. I was working a theater gig. It was a five-night-a-week play that was scheduled to run for a month. Maybe more if it were successful enough. The name of the play was Head of the Family. It was a goofy comedy about a mafia family. I played a hitman. The Saturday night showing ran pretty late. Normally, after we took our bows, I would change clothes and eat a little snack before I left. But tonight, I was tired, so I stayed in my costume, which consisted of black pants and a long leather jacket. 
My hair was still slicked back with grease like my character wore it. I'd shower and wash it all out once I got home. I headed across the street to the parking garage where I kept my rust bucket of a car. The audience had already mostly cleared out and the parking garage was quiet and empty. I took an elevator up to the fourth floor where my car was parked. As the elevator doors opened and I stepped out, I was startled when a tall man wearing a long, navy blue jacket and hat rushed toward me. He grabbed my wrist, pressed something cold into my hand, and whispered into my ear, Space 437. I turned to question the mysterious man, but he rushed past me into the elevator and the doors closed behind him. It all happened so fast, it was taking my mind a second to catch up. I gazed down at my hand to see what the man had placed in it and saw a set of car keys. What the hell was this for? Then I remembered he said Space 437. I looked at the number of the closest spot to me. It was Space 421. So I started walking down the aisle until I reached Space 437. I gasped. Sitting in the parking space was a brand new BMW 8 Series convertible. I checked the keys in my hand and confirmed that they had the BMW insignia on them. Now obviously the guy who gave me the keys mistook me for someone else, probably because I was still in my Hitman costume, and I knew the wisest decision I could make would be just to drop the keys and walk away. But there was no way in the world I wasn't going to at least take this baby for a spin around the block. I hopped in, adjusted the seat, and started her up. This thing purred like a kitten. I hit the gas and peeled rubber as I tore down the ramp of the parking garage. This sucker really hugged the corners. As I exited the parking garage, I floored it and then skidded to a stop in front of the theater when I saw my pal Kenny exiting. Kenny played the character of Giovanni, the bumbling son of the Mafia boss. The joke was that Giovanni was a complete ignoramus who had no business being in the Mafia. But he was the son of the boss, so he had to hold an important position. And the hilarity ensues. He played the part brilliantly. Kenny was shocked when he saw me in the BMW. Where the hell did you get this thing? I told him to hop in and we started driving around the small city with the top down. This car handled like a dream. We drove around for a good 30 minutes or so and then I headed back for the parking garage. I was just about to pull into the garage when I heard Kenny say, Hey, what's this? I looked over to see that he was referring to a post-it note that was stuck on the dashboard. It looked like a message. I asked him what it said. He picked it up and read it to me. Package waiting for you at the Drexel Hotel, room 1742. He then held up a hotel key that was attached to the note. Kenny was nervous as he spoke. Okay, the fun's over. I think you should just park the car back where you found it. I scoffed at his apprehension. Are you kidding? I want to see what the package is. 
I screeched the car around a curb and zoomed toward the Drexel Hotel, all the while having to listen to Kenny constantly remind me that we shouldn't be doing this. The Drexel was a fancy hotel in the heart of downtown. I parked in the back and we entered through a side door and took an elevator to the 17th floor. Kenny thought this was all a bad idea and was sweating bullets. What if we run into someone? What if someone starts questioning us? Just play it cool. How? Just use your acting talents. Pretend like you're in the mob or something. Play your character, Giovanni. Giovanni? He's a boob. He's a complete dimwit. He's not really a mafia guy. That's the point of the play. That's why it's funny. Okay, okay, then just don't say anything. I'll do all the talking. You just try to look mean. I don't play a good mean guy. When I try to look mean, people think I look nervous. Will you stop worrying? Come on, let's get the package. We walked down the hall until we got to room 1742. We stood outside the door for a moment and listened for any sounds coming from within, but it was silent. I was kind of nervous as I slipped the key into the door, and the indicator light above the handle lit up green. What was in this room? I turned the handle and pushed the door open. The room was dark and quiet. It had a subtle, clean linen scent. I felt around on the inside of the wall and held the door open while I flicked on the light. I didn't see or hear any signs of anyone in the room, so we entered. It was just an ordinary-looking hotel room with two queen-size beds that were both made up and untouched. The only thing out of the ordinary was the six-foot rectangular black metal box lying on one of the beds. It reminded me of a cheap coffin. Kenny echoed my sentiments. On top of the box were two flashlights and a sheet of paper. I picked up the paper and read the message that was scribbled on it. Take the package to 237 Piper's Pike Lane. Instructions and payment behind the house. I looked at Kenny, who was emphatically shaking his head and saying, Nope, 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 nope. I held up my hands to try to calm him down as I spoke. Look, normally I'd agree with you, but it said payment. That means money. I could really use some money right now, couldn't you? I'm a struggling actor too, of course I could. But I'm not willing to risk my life for it. Okay, look, let's just take the box to the address and see how things look. If it seems like it's an unsafe situation, we'll abort. After a few minutes of persuading, I got Kenny to agree and we both picked up an end of the box and carried it out of the hotel room. The box was heavy. I asked Kenny what he thought may be in it, but he cut me off and just kept repeating, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. We placed the box in the back of the BMW and headed toward our next destination. Once we reached Piper's Pike Lane, I realized that we were not in the best part of town. I really didn't feel too comfortable driving this nice of a car around this seedy area. I stopped in front of the house with the address of 2379. It was abandoned and it was so dilapidated, it looked like it was about to fall over. Seriously, the structure was visibly slanted. The windows had been boarded up so long that the wood was rotting. 
As dodgy as this area seemed, there wasn't anyone around and it was quiet, so I talked Kenny into helping me carry the box behind the house per the instructions. We each grabbed an end of the box, hoisted it out of the BMW, and made our way through the overgrown yard to the back of the house. I shined my flashlight around and immediately saw what we were supposed to find. A large rectangular hole had been dug in the ground. It was about five feet deep. There were two shovels stuck in the soft dirt surrounding the hole. There was another note under one of the shovels. It said, Bury the package. Wait for payment. Kenny was beginning to freak. We should get the hell out of here. I pleaded with him. Look, we've come this far. Let's just bury this thing and collect the payment. I don't know how, but I got Kenny to reluctantly agree, and we began carrying the box toward the hole in the ground. As we got ready to lower the box into the ground, Kenny stumbled and lost his grip. Luckily, the box tumbled right down into the hole in the ground. But unfortunately, its contents spilled out. Kenny quickly turned away. He refused to look at what it was that we had been hauling around with us. But he couldn't stop asking. It's a dead body, isn't it? I know it is. I know it's a dead body. Am I right? It's a dead body, isn't it? I shined my light down into the hole and got a good look at what it was that was inside the box. I looked over to Kenny. I took in a deep breath and told him. No, it's not a dead body. I wasn't lying. A dead body implies one whole dead body. What was actually in the box were pieces of multiple bodies. Hands, legs, arms, heads, torsos. It was a medley of murder. I told Kenny to stay away and take a break while I buried it. My adrenaline was pumping like a madman and I finished in no time. Just as I finished placing the last shovel of dirt over the hole, I heard a deep voice bellow from the side of the house. Which of you guys is Vinny? I stepped next to Kenny and we watched together as a mountain of a man in a leather jacket with black wavy hair approached us. I nudged Kenny and whispered to him, Look mean. My heart was beating out of my chest, but I just took a deep breath and started playing my hitman character from the head of the family play. Me, I'm Vinny. The big man glanced me over and then looked at Kenny. What's with this guy? Why does he seem so nervous? I looked sharply at Kenny, who kind of shrugged. He was trying his best. Don't worry about it. Uh, we did the job. Now how about the payment? The big man smirked at me, reached into his pocket and pulled out a huge wad of bills and started slapping them against his hand. There must have been ten grand there. He stared coldly at me while holding a sly smile. You said you were Vinny, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm Vinny. That's funny because just before I arrived here, I got a call from Vinny. He said he was late and missed the drop. I could feel beads of sweat running down my forehead. I can only imagine what kind of shape Kenny was in. 
The poor guy was probably about to keel over, but I dared not look. I was just trying my best to play it cool, but I could feel myself beginning to tremble with fear as the big man slowly reached down into his jacket pocket. I was seconds away from pleading for my life when I noticed the big man withdraw nothing more than a pen and paper from his pocket and scribble something down. You two do good work. If you ever want another job, call this number. The big man gave me the slip of paper that had a phone number on it. He also handed over the cash. That was it. Somehow, Kenny and I survived that crazy night. We're both still struggling actors, but now we have a nice side gig that pays quite well. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey everyone. If you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work, and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much.